Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Jens Nelson. Uh, Jens is with Open Doors Capital. He originally immigrated from Denmark and has a successful IT career. And he has been investing for several years now. He currently owns 74 units in New Mexico and Colorado and is a general partner in 750 syndicated units all around the country. Over the last few years, Jens has also passively invested in 14 different syndications spanning over 800 apartment units, 2,000 mobile home parks, and over 6,000 storage units. And he does some uh, private uh, mortgage note funds as well, and some private money lending. So Jens is also a coach uh, and also mentors several students. So Jens has a all-round background, and today we are going to dig into his very interesting story. And welcome to the show, Jens. I'm excited to have you today. Thanks, Akar. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Awesome, awesome. There are a lot of parallels, Jens. Uh, just like you, I am an immigrant as well with a, uh, you know, a decent uh, uh, success in real estate. And I appreciate you taking time today. Uh, for our listeners, Jens, um, help us give us some background as to how you got started and how the immense success for you came along uh, recently. Yeah, so, you know, like a lot of people, I was taught the story of the bought into the story of getting a, getting an education, getting a job and saving into your 401k, right? And sure. mm-hmm. I kind of continued down that path for many years. And then one day I realized, well, that's all good. If I ever want to retire, I need to do something different. And that's when I just discovered real estate. And I thought, hey, real estate is really the vehicle to get that passive income to live you know, a life on my own terms versus my employer's term, right? And, you know, as soon as I made that discovery, I started studying everything I could find, you know, books and podcasts like your own and, uh, you know, starting to go into events and really just learning what it took to be a real estate investor, you know, and, uh, and then quickly took some action too, you know, within, within six months, we had bought like 19 units, um, a couple of fourplexes and an 11 unit and I just quickly just took action and then learned along the way through mistakes and, uh, and other things. So that was kind of the path I took. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, yes, uh, for new listeners there, help them maybe uh, give a few nuggets as to uh, knowing what you know now, what are the few things like new investors should look at in terms of getting started or getting knowledge and things like that? Yeah, I think it's a combination, right? You definitely want to educate yourself a little bit, you know, go on to various websites and research. So you kind of know the, the financials, you understand how to evaluate property and you kind of know a little bit and make sure you understand the market. 
I also think you need to take action, like just go out there and do something because you can't study forever and they never take any action because they don't get anywhere. Sure. Um, really go out there and maybe find a mentor, somebody who's been there before that can give you some advice, give you some help along the way. And that's one of the things I did on early on. I reached out to a friend who lives here in town and I said, hey, you know, I know you've been investing in real estate. How, what is that, uh, how does that work, right? And he's like, sat down and we had dinner and he had like a napkin out pretty much. He's like, well, you look at the, the property, you look at what, the, what it costs, you look at the income, you look at the expenses, and then you see if there's any money left over and you know if it's a deal or not, right? Right, right, right. Awesome. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so that's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So um, I connected with him and you know, he, he then said, well, if you want to invest in this market, and my first market was Albuquerque, New Mexico, because that's the closest bigger city where I live. Sure. He said, if you want to invest there, connect with this gentleman. He's been doing it for 50 years. He really knows what he's doing. Connect with him. He loves to help the new investors. And that's how I get started. I basically reached out to his broker. He found me my first deal. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of how I started. I think for new investors, you know, yeah, reach out to people who've done it before. Make sure, you know, if, if you start in with a small property, reach out to people that are doing small property. If you want to try to do something bigger, then reach out to those types of people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's super important. Awesome. Um, so awesome. some of the initial things. Yeah, for sure. I see. And uh, multifamily in general is very unique, Jens, where you have to be very methodical, uh, in my opinion, and very thoughtful as to how you take action and how you go about, uh, you know, evaluating different deals and things like that. Uh, could you help our listeners understand how you evaluate different markets and what things you look for uh, in some of the uh, assets that you, you are uh, looking at? Yeah, so I think, you know, everybody says location, location, location. I think it, I did learn that lesson early on that even, you know, you really got to be careful about the neighborhood, right? So I, I didn't really spend, initially I didn't spend lots of time that, well, I'm just going to go to this city because I can, I can get started there. Later on, I learned, well, the city may be okay, but the neighborhood is hugely important, right? So I sure. learned a big mm -hmm. lesson there early on about investing in the right neighborhood. Then, you know, going forward, markets, and really, I kind of look at two different things here. I either want a market that has, you know, some good economic drivers for a lot of appreciation. Mm -hmm. you know, so we invested in Phoenix last fall because, you know, Phoenix has been growing very rapidly and a lot of people moving there, good rent growth. So I felt like, hey, there's some strong drivers there. But then also I do like cash flow. So we've also done some stuff like, you know, the upper Midwest, where maybe the appreciation is a little bit slower, but mm -hmm. it's steady, it's very strong cash flow because the properties are not that expensive, you know, and, but they're still in order to rent. The rents are, are good based upon the property price. So I kind of look at both, right, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to, to see and, and, and mix up my portfolio a little bit. Awesome, awesome. And uh, tell us about your first deal or a first larger deal, how it came about, how you found it and how you financed it and things like that, Jens. Yeah, I think the first larger deal that we partnered on was uh, 38 units. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I had actually, you know, I had grown and I was like, okay, I want to do something bigger. I didn't have quite the capital. So I asked my 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 broker slash property manager said, hey, if I find a deal, he's also an investor. If I find a deal, would you like to invest with me? He said, yeah, sure, you know, just let's do it. And I had actually, I found it on LoopNet. Uh, it was so 38 <laughs> units. It was, 
it was it was listed too high and i remember it was listed at one and a half million dollars which may seem like a low price but that was what it was but it was it was pretty worn out pretty run down and needed a lot of work mm-hmm. so what we decided is you know let's go in there we ended up getting it for 1.2 million and we put six partners together five i think five partners together brought you know we got half of the loan from a bank for 600 uh, for 600,000 we bought brought 600,000 to the deal to buy it so mm-hmm. 50% leverage but then the bank gave us a construction loan for another $550,000 to do nice. all the rehab right sure mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. a so there was an instinct model, right? We, we actually had this interest only for two years while we were doing all the work. And, uh, and it's been two years. We actually just hit the two-year mark here this month. So uh, that was my first larger deal. Learned a lot about taking all the properties and rehabbing them and all the challenges you're going to run into. Right? Sure, sure. So was that a traditional bank financing um, against? Because typically, um, you know, like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, typically wouldn't finance, uh, you know, like really uh, low occupancy deals and things like that. What, what was sort of your financing structure around it? Yeah, it was recourse by bank financing through a good relationship we have with the lender there. So, yeah, you know, I see. any, any I see. partner had to, had to sign on the loan. But sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the deal works, uh, numbers work, there's good cash flow, good upside. There's no reason to, uh, you know, even for smaller deals, you can certainly have a, uh, you know, the recourse uh, bank debt, as you're saying. Uh, so speaking of the value adds, right, Jens, like, what is your take on uh, you know doing the uh, doing the value as like are you big into like doing lots of renovations uh, into your deals or you look for uh, you know assets that are uh, you know already looking well you're just trying to optimize whether the operations or some minor rehabs what is, what is sort of your investment strategy around the value add yeah so <laughs> So this deal we just did was a heavy value add, and there's a lot of risk around that in terms of your unknowns, mm-hmm. you know, like the plumbing that we need to redo because it was had all kinds of problems, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that risk. I think you can generate a lot of value by doing that mm-hmm. because we got the, you know a 30k door, you know, and then we can really increase the value. But now going forward, if I'm doing larger deals, I don't like that really heavy value add. Mm-hmm. Because if we're getting, you know, if we're syndicating a deal, it's the returns are a little bit too unpredictable. Because, you know, if it's if it's ten thousand dollars a door, maybe it moves to twelve, and then suddenly your returns are going to be kind of messed up, right? So sure. I will do a heavy value add in a smaller deal. I mm-hmm. wouldn't do it in a large one there, one like a lighter, you know, that's five grand a door type thing. So. That's kind of my my approach right now. I think that's a little bit safer for larger deals. Right, right. I think that's a good point, Ian, that for larger or deep value add deals, I I think you raise a very interesting topic where I think if your, you know, asset uh, or the unit number of units are very high, I think the amount of risk you are bearing over time is significantly higher. So I, I think I concur with your uh, uh, assessment there is that I think as long as it's manageable, midsize, you know, maybe I don't know, uh, 80 to 100 doors, it's easy to take on. 
and plus experience plays a part as well that I think uh, the experience your team is and you know more of the experienced partners you have maybe it's a far more easier to uh, you know launch into like larger deep value uh, projects would, would you agree I guess no, I, I think so. I mean, there is the, that risk of the unknowns, right? And if you start overrunning that, yeah, if you do it on 10 units, no, it's a big deal. If you do it on 100 units or 200 units, that's a tremendous amount of extra cost there. Um, yeah, and definitely your team, right? Who are you bringing in there? Who's doing the value add? Is it you know, your team? Do you have to have your property manager doing? Is it, is it other contractors? And really making sure that they're that their bids and their track record is solid. I had an experience with somebody I know who based the purchase on a on one contractor's bids for the for the rehab, and it turned mm -hmm. out that they were way too low. So then they're like, man, now we can't go in there and actually fully execute that value add strategy, and that's gonna, you know, have some impact on their return. So it's um, it's risky and. Uh, that's why I'm like, yeah, let's do lighter value add because I think the returns are a little bit more steady that way. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So now, uh, Jens, you have the perspective from both sides of the coin, meaning you have invested passively and you have, in, uh, you know, you're obviously a uh, sponsor on the general partnership doing various deals as well. Uh, could you help us uh, understand, um, Jens, that what was uh, your appeal for investing into passive like what was it about the multifamily asset class or you know let's say self storages and things like that that you have invested in uh, what was the appealing part to you that you said hey i want to go in full-on passively i am uh, fully committed into this uh, asset class could you help us understand what was your mindset uh, uh, around it yeah you know i have been around long enough to see various stock market crashes right and sure. uh, mm -hmm. that was one thing i was like man just see the stock market going up and down i have no idea why and i have no control over it right. so i felt like if i pulled some of my money out this is mostly through retirement funds so if i sure. pulled some mm -hmm. of my capital out of my retirement fund put that into real estate first of all i understand real estate and i can an analyze the deal and say if it made sense right if that's right. if that syndicator was actually you know, doing a proper job of analyzing it. Uh, so that was one thing. And I felt like I wanted to learn how a larger deal was being run. You know, how's the sure. syndication run? How's, the, how's a, um, a fund being run while I was still trying to learn it? So that was another opportunity, you know. So, mm -hmm. and I, you know, so far, you know, I, I like it because it's, you know, steady income. And I know one day the property will sell and there'll be some good um, appreciation coming my way. So, so far, you know, it's been, I, I'm still very committed to that path. Sure, sure. And then, uh, Jens, what were some of the concrete steps you took? You went from a passive investor to learning and then, uh, you know, syndicating your own projects. Uh, what were some of the things you did that increased your confidence, your deal flow, and you know then you are able to like sort of syndicate your own deals bringing on you know have more and more passive investors into your own deals could you maybe help us uh, uh with with some of some of that aspects yeah the, you know the the confidence is really partnering with people so you know i started i started you know learning 
learning more about what a syndication was and then I would go to events to various educational events and conferences and I started connecting with people and trying to find a way to add value to an existing team right because mm -hmm. going out there and doing it by yourself is a little hard but I felt like I, I could find some teams that were already out there doing it I could add some value through um, you know doing underwriting due diligence bring some capital to your deal and that way getting a part you know kind of my my foot in the door, if you will, sure. and helping those guys, right? right? And then as I've grown, I've learned more about, okay, where's my unique strengths? Where can I add more value to a team? And sure. then kind of growing that, right? So, so, you know, this last deal that we are kind of closing here shortly, there's, you know, I have a bigger part of that and, uh, and, and I'm sort of kind of growing into becoming a, a bigger member of the general partnership. So, so that's kind of the path. But I think, you know, it's hard for a new investor to go out there and, and syndicate his own deal, but definitely need to get those key principles to partner with and then find that right group to work with. That's been my experience. Sure, sure, sure. And and there is so much to uh, sort of unpack uh, there, Jens, what you said about, uh, you know, getting your foot in the door, you know, helping the larger team, knowing, you know, what your strengths are. And once you find your uh, key strengths, you focus on them and you specialize in that. And then, you know, you sort of, uh, you know, go into it and of course, increase your own confidence. And hence, you start to, you know, take on bigger deals. Uh, of course, your share in the partnership increases as well, right? Um, help us unpack some of those aspects, Jens, as to, uh, you know, when you started, like what was your deal structure then as you went along uh, what are your key strengths that you now focus upon and you kind of bring those uh, strengths to your to the general partnership yeah so i mean you know initially there was you know small ownership of the general partnerships through those those you know uh, underwriting due diligence capital and stuff like that right but then i've learned you know from my it background that i'm good at systems i'm good at being systematic, you know, I can help with a lot of that stuff. So I brought some to, you know, some of my later deals where they were very manual. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of maybe redundant tasks or tasks that weren't very streamlined. So I've then since um, gone in there and helped us say, well, here are some tools we can use. We can set up an investor portal so people can go and sign in there and do their um, um, investment there, sign all the paperwork electronically. You know, here are some we can use other tools to really streamline the process and making sure we are, you know, we go through all the steps along the way, right? So mm -hmm. really helping with systems and, and stuff that I can do remotely because I'm not very not often physically. Right, where the, right. Yeah, I'm not physically there. Sure, right? so, sure. <laughs> and most of this, most of the partnerships are that that way. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, we are investing in growth states, so. Uh, it's physically not possible all the time. So you are, you know, definitely maintaining, uh, you know, different tools and things like that, relying on technology as much as you can. And, you know, of course, you're going visiting uh, the assets for due diligence and time-to-time -time asset management and things like that, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, moving on, as, uh, you know, new investors get started, what would you uh, sort of advise them in terms of, uh, you know, should they like uh, invest in 
heavy value add assets or should they look into light value add assets? Give us some of your perspective on those topics. Yeah, uh, you think we touched on that a little bit before. I think if you're a new investor, start with the lighter value add deal, unless you have a very, very strong partner who knows how to do that heavy rehab, or if you have a construction background or something sure. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're buying, you know, a five, 10, 20 units by yourself and you have the capital to fix it up, mm -hmm. yeah, you certainly could do that. But if you're buying a larger deal, I definitely would not recommend the heavy value add, the light value add. Because I think again, the risk is a lot smaller those by the value of the deals. I see, I see. Good, good. Thank you. And uh, also, Yen, as you know, with all the COVID pandemic that has come around, you know, the lot of tenants are impacted. The blue collar workers, the uh, you know, lot of hours have been reduced. Some people are late on rents. Uh, some are absolutely unable to pay and things like that. And what that has turned into is the collections are uh, pretty much impacted nowadays in terms of you know how one is collecting from month to month and things like that um, and where i'm going with this Jens, is that um, when we evaluate the deals let's say in less uh, next um, uh, you know uh, coming six months or a year and things like that uh, and we are looking at these gyrations of noi uh, what are some things you can uh, advise uh, our fellow listeners that uh, they can focus on to kind of whether better understand the impact of covid that would have happened on those assets or also, you know, understanding those variances that, hey, NOI was choppy. Uh, give us some guidance on some of those uh, issues. Yeah, it's interesting because we're in the middle of a deal that we um, we uh, got on the contract in late February, you know, and then we were a week to close it in, you know, April or something. Um, and then all this stuff happened, right? So sure. what we did, we went back and we was like, okay, well, we had a we had a value add strategy there. It's like, okay, well we probably cannot go and raise rent in the first year. So we said, okay, if we, if we just keep rents flat, what if we, um, what if we look at what are the, um, you know, what's our break even point? Can we, can we survive at 20 or 25%, um, uh, you know, delinquency or, or, or occupancy or physical, uh, you know, economic occupancy. And we just looked at all those things and made sure we still had a solid deal there. Right? Sure. So that was mm -hmm. one thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to be very careful about assuming rent growth in the next six months to a year, because you know, if people are struggling, you don't want to go out and hit them with a rent increase as well. That's going to really be a challenge. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if you're looking at, if you're evaluating a deal in six months that has been very choppy, you know, you may have just to go on, you know, a thing stabilizing is the last month looking better and can you analyze that out or is it just up and down and you just have to decide, you know, what value can you give on that property? And that's going to be challenging because I have not seen a lot of delinquencies yet in my portfolio mm -hmm. in those deals we were in, but is that going to change in, you know, June, July, August? I don't know. Right. So sure, sure. I think some of the pain is still to come for sure. Right. Right, just right, right. Don't rush into a deal right now. This would be my uh, my advice. Right? right, absolutely. I think new area, some new assets we don't know, especially we don't know what the tenant impacts are. So you, you're absolutely correct. I think rushing in into something new and you know perhaps owning it uh, in next 60 days and then you still have the impact coming through and that would you know that would be very very you know challenging um, so in terms of your 
DUCNs, like how how you went about structuring them in terms of you know the limited partners, general partners. Uh, give us some insights into how the deals were uh, are structured. Uh, yeah, so we have a joint venture deal, right? That's just a straight split sure. based mm-hmm. upon the amount of money everybody brought to it. We gave a little bit more to the PM because he's there daily working on it, but sure. the rest mm-hmm. is just a split. Mm-hmm. Um, on the syndications, now we've gone both ways. We've we've gone you know with a preferred return. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, seven or eight percent preferred return, then with a 25 75 split, which I think is quite common. Sure. We've also done, we've also done some deals where it's just been more of a straight, you know, 70 30 split or 75 25 split mm-hmm. with no preferred return. And the way we kind of explain that is well, we're not taking any fees, right? We're taking a small acquisition fee, but we're not taking any asset management fee, no capital distribution. Fee, uh, uh, transaction fee or anything like that. So we're just kind of splitting it. So we're not feeing anybody to death, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're just paying out, you know, whatever the, the income is. And that's been a model that it's maybe easier for some investors to understand. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, more sophisticated investors probably want to see that that um, that preferred return. But you know, if it's one of your first deals, you may be happy with just a straight split. So we just always look at what makes sense, right? Because everybody needs to be compensated fairly. And I don't want to take, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in upfront fees and then not be able to return my investors a decent amount of money, right? So that's sure. kind of how we look at it. So. Sure, sure. So it is all capital preservation and proper returns given to investors. And within that framework, uh, it's fair to say that, um, if you can give a preferred return, that is the most uh, preferred route. And I guess, hence the name I should say, right? <laughs> and if it doesn't make sense, then that's where I think you were alluding to that maybe we unroll our, uh, like let's say the acquisition fees or the asset management fees so that you can still uh, you know, entice the investors and keep their returns uh, you know, uh, attractive. Uh, so it's it's fair to say that you want to align your interests uh, based on you know what's best for your passive investors and then uh, you know structure the deal accordingly. Would would that be correct, Ian? Yeah, and I also think you know one of the challenges I'm seeing from the syndication model is that if I'm putting a deal together, how am I going to make money? I'll make money in the acquisition fee, and then the asset management fee, and then when this property is sold. Sure. But typically, there is very little cash flow along the way for the general partners. <laughs> so what happens is, general partners are in, they want to sell as quickly as possible so they can get their payday, right? Sure. <laughs> Which ends up being a little bit of that. Well, now we've just sold this property. What are we going to do with the money? We have to find something else. Some of these deals we've done in slower growing markets. You know, it could be ten years before we sell that property. But we want to make sure our we you know the general partners are compensated along the way through some cash flow. So that way we're like, well, let's not take a bunch of money up front. Let's take you know a little bit of a cash flow or some of the cash flow along the way. No, you know, no acquisition, no asset management fees. I think I think there can be different ways. What is your what is your long term strategy with that property? So I feel like that has worked for us too in that model. You know. 
Interesting, interesting. Th thank you for that detail, Jens. And um, just the last few questions, uh, Jens. Um, what what is the best advice you have received as you started your career and you progressed and you know now you are uh, a general partner into multifamily? It is a complex web uh, for a new investor to understand. Uh, could you help us, uh, you know, maybe uh, tell us like what was your best advice and how it kind of steered you in the right direction over the years? I think the advice I got from my, my earlier mentor was be careful about assuming you can raise the rent as much as everybody tells you you can do, right? You know, everybody said, oh, I can raise 100 or $200. And you may be able to, but what does that take? So, you know, he's very conservative. He said, let's not raise rents too quickly because as soon as somebody leaves, you have that vacancy and all that, all that we have to do. Sure. Right. So, mm -hmm. so just be, I think the best advice is like be conservative about your rent growth mm -hmm. and keep your tenants happy. I think that's really an that's important awesome. learning that's, experience. That's that's awesome. And since you you are a uh, mentor and a coach yourself now, Jens, um, help us uh, uh, help our listeners understand that uh, what are the key things that you see in people? Perhaps they limit themselves or flat out fail. Uh, give us some tidbits uh, for our listeners who may be uh, you know listening to and trying to understand that. Hey, from a coach's vantage point. Uh, what are the uh, few things that you're looking in students uh, to help them succeed better? Yeah, I think it's basically seeing that your amazing life on the other side of your fear and your, your limiting beliefs, right? So we, have, we don't really know how to get there. So we mm -hmm. just see, well, I'm never going to get started. A coach can help you see, okay, you know, in two, three, five years, this is where you want to be. Let's break that down into what you should do this week, next week, next month, right? So sure. mm -hmm. really helping you see the path forward because I think a lot of people are having a problem envisioning where they can go to because they've never been there before, right? And I see. Like, you mm -hmm. know, so they look at somebody, they, they, they feel like a successful and they're like, oh my God, I can never do that. Well, that person also started somewhere and then went through the path, right? So really helping them see that that progression and that growth is, is something that I really focus a lot on. Awesome, beautiful. Thank you, thank you for that uh, detailed breakdown. And, and also, uh, Jens, um, what are some of the few things daily that you do that uh, you know propel you or keep you uh, grounded and in tune uh, in your business? Like, uh, give us some uh, insights into some of your best practices. Yeah, getting up at five a.m. and I think I did like twenty minutes of yoga and fifty push-ups this morning. So that awesome. Was, mm -hmm. That was my little starting. Like, hey, let's get the blood pumping. Let's just get a little grounding to start with, right? Mm -hmm. And then just basically, you know, set the intention for the day. What do you want to try? not try, what do you want to accomplish today? Sure. Set intention. And then, you know, I do some, I review my goals. I do some uh, journaling. Just really like kind of just, this is my quiet time. I just kind of focus on everything. And then I'll either do some writing if I'm writing blog or a post, or if I'm, if I'm reading something inspirational and just really spend, you know, an hour or two hours in the morning, just getting all that stuff going. And then I'll, you know, go into, to start the day with, with, with the daily activities, you know, but just, be, be, set the intention for day is really what I think is most important. You know, Gary Keller talks about the one thing or whatever, but right. what is your intention? What do you want to achieve today? That's going to move you further, further towards your goals. 
That's awesome. Thank you for your wonderful advice, Jens. Uh, tell our listeners how uh, they can get in touch with you and where they can locate you. Yeah, so uh, my email is jens, J-E-N-S, at opendoors, with an S, capital.com, so opendoorscapital.com. And if any of your listeners want to get on a free strategy call, start their investing or coaching or anything, they can go to opendoorscapital.com slash call, and they can schedule a free call there. I'd love to talk to anybody regardless of what questions they may have. Awesome. It's been a pleasure, Jens. I appreciate your advice. Uh, and as you move forward, I will look forward to uh, some more pro- hearing some more progress and having you on a future episode. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Sarkar. It's been a lot of fun. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.